I'm Jared, one of the pastors here. I'm married to Ann. She's not here today. She's speaking in the morning services at one of our uh, sister congregations around the metro area. She'll be back next week. And uh, our very own Lori Dickerson, missionary to Uganda, wonderful, wonderful church planter, orphanage starter, business maker, former executive pastor here at Evergreen. Lori is going to be speaking next week, so that'll be very fun as well. You'll see Ann and me around the building, but we're going to be doing kids stuff next week. They've invited us for us to come in as special guests for the kids, and so we'll be down there. My pleasure today to kick off a new summer series called well, you guessed, didn't you? Yeah, called story. And you might find yourself in this part of the story because many of you have your pictures uh, put against the four people there. They put me on the little girl. I don't know what that's all up about at all. But in this series, we're going to have several of the Evergreen team share God's big story lived out in the life of a Bible character and then also tell God's story in their life. So you're hearing from me, you're hearing next week from Laura, you're going to be hearing from Ann, from Brad, you're going to be hearing from Grant, you're going to be hearing from Pastor Kim, you're going to be hearing from uh, Rick Sawchuk, our new associate pastor as he comes. Maybe I missed some, but it's going to be a fun, fun story, summer of hearing the story. And today, I get to introduce you to one of my favorite people. If you were going to choose a role model... It would probably make sense to choose someone who actually said a few words, didn't you? Wouldn't you think? That's what makes Timothy so unusual. We do not have one of his words recorded in the Bible, but he was tremendously influential, and he still is very influential in how we do church. And he showed us how to live life well over the long haul. I'm an old guy. I want to finish life well, and I want to share some of Timothy's story and some of my story with you today through the five stages of his life. Now, many times here at Evergreen, we distribute Bibles at this point in the service. We invite you to turn on your devices or open your Bibles to a particular passage. Today, uncharacteristically, I'm going to encourage you just to jot notes about the passages because I'm hop, skipping, and jumping through three different books as we take a look at Timothy's story, and then you can unpack those on your own later. Let's look at his first stage of life, and I call it kid faith. And the lesson we learned from Timothy is to accept Jesus young. Yeah. And we hear about that in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Notice verse 5. Actually, let's make that 2 Timothy verse 5. It says this. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. Chapter 3. Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Wow, what a heritage. A grandma and a mom, fervent practicing Jews, somehow had accepted faith in Jesus Christ, apparently from Paul's earlier trip through these cities. And now, as they have been 
enculturating this infant Timothy, now a little boy in Jewish faith, Old Testament scripture we would call it. Now he has been added to that, a vibrant faith in Jesus Christ. You know from how, from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures through which you have faith in Christ Jesus. We learn this lesson from Timothy, accept Jesus young. Kid faith is valid, legitimate faith. I brought for you today a box. No, I did not work my way through it. Those of you that are vertically dyslexics, you can read that. Nicorette gum. I went to our box collection, and it was either this or it was a whiskey box. And so I decided that I'd probably rather go public with Nicorette, but here we are. Yeah. I, like Timothy, had the privilege of growing up in a God-fearing home, in a home that loved Jesus. And my mom tells me the story that I, like many little kids, enjoyed playing not so much with the toys that filled the box, but with the what? Yeah, with the box. And one day she um, told me to behave in some kind of way that I didn't want to. I went into the living room. I dumped out all the toys from the box. I tipped the box over, rolled myself into it, rolled again so the box tipped up, and now I am completely hidden in the box. And she came over to check on me, and I asked her if she could go away because I was talking with God about it. I discovered later it was quite biblical. Jesus talked about the prayer closet, and it's about as close as I could come to owning anything, so I had my box. For some time later, I was five, preschooler, at home, alone with my mom. She heard me in the box crying. So she came over to check in. And she, through interview, discovered that I was experiencing the work of God's spirit on my spirit to convict me of sin. And she led me to respond to Jesus. I wanted to go public with that the way my big brother Jim was, seven years older than me. And so we went to the church, we sat in the back row, and I made the trick, the trip. It was a trick, but it was the trip down from the back row to the front aisle to go public with my face at age five. And because in our church they didn't bother to baptism very often, like every month here or two times last month, we were in a church that I had to wait for two years to be baptized. But age seven, first possible time I could be baptized, I was baptized. Yeah. We learned from Timothy this, that faith is valid. Kids' faith is valid. And while my story, like all of yours, has plenty of imperfection in it, I accepted Jesus Christ at age five and have faithfully followed him across the years and the decades since. That's why here at Evergreen, we are crazy about kids and helping them come to know Jesus Christ. And children and students are not the church of the tomorrow. They join us in being the church of today. We learn the first thing from Timothy. We learn to accept Jesus young. The second stage of life happened when he was in his teens. And we learn this about teen faith, and that is to expect more. To expect more from a teen that we tend to expect. You're in love with Jesus. You're filled with his spirit. There's gifts of God in you. We need you. We believe in you. We need you. We want you. We receive you. And we expect a lot from you. The Apostle Paul certainly expected a lot from Timothy. Would you read with me from Acts 16, starting with verse 1, about how they met? It said, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. 
whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. I guess Paul expected a lot from Timothy. Are you with me on this? We're not going to go too gross or graphic here, but let's, let's notice the story. Did you see the big word in there? Circumcised him. Uh-huh. Probably a teenager. Paul shows up and says, Timothy, I'd like to take you with me on the journey. Where are you going? I'm not sure. What are you going to do? Well, we're going to try to start some churches, but probably we're going to beat up stone, maybe have a shipwreck or two, and throw him into jail for sure. Cool. When are we coming back to home, friends, families, grandma, and mom? I don't know when we're going to come back. You may not even make it back. Cool. I'm ready to sign up. By the way, here's a sharp knife. I'm going to do a little surgery. Never done it before, but you know you have to start somewhere on someone. Yeah. And to cut you a break, we're going to let you hang out here for a couple of days in sheer pain, and then we're going to hit the road. We're going to march about 20 miles a day. Yeah. Expect more? Mm. I think so. I really think so. Wow. Is this an unusual story? No. Just the details. In fact, many of the greatest people in the Bible were teenagers when they were called to do great adventures with God. Jeremiah was commissioned to prophesy probably around age 19. Joseph, after refusing to commit adultery, was wrongly imprisoned in Egypt at around 17. Esther was probably a teenager when she won the competition to who was going to become queen and offered her life to save her people. Mary was probably 16 or younger when she was visited by an angel. Daniel was 16 when he was torn from his home and taken as a political prisoner to Babylon. King David's adventures with God started when he was a kid. Samuel officiated at the altar when he was a tweener. And some of the 12 apostles were probably in their late teens when they were called by Jesus. I guess the Bible story is to expect more from teens. I guess so. Well, my name's not Timothy, but I did have a Paul in my life. His name was Paul Earhart, and he was our volunteer youth pastor at the little country church that I grew up in. We averaged about 54 people. I remember that because that today is the median A size Protestant church in North America. We were a median size church. But that little country church had a vibrant youth group. There were about 20 of us that were committed and a part of it. And when we threw a retreat, we all brought two or three friends. There were like 50 or 60 kids that would go on our weekend retreats. I had just turned 16. I remember because I was driving. And in October, Paul brought me, uh, took me to the site and he said, Jared, we want to do a youth retreat next spring. And I want you to plan and lead it. And I said, wow, that's amazing, Paul. And I said, what, what, what part would you like for me to plan? He said, no, I want you to plan the whole thing. I said, you don't understand. <clears throat> I've hardly gone to a retreat. I've never planned a whole retreat. And he said, I understand that. He said, that's why we're talking in October and not in March. You have plenty of time. And he said, I'll be here with you, so just give me some regular check-ins. And if you have some problems, talk with me, and I'll coach you along through it. He expected a lot more. 
And I launched and I found a place over on the coast and I contracted with them. And because I grew up in a poor and frugal and cheap family, we did not pay market rates. And I got a guest speaker to come and I arranged for transportation and the publicity on the thing and the registration and the budget and how much it was going to cost. And I signed kids up and now it was time to take care of the food and I got the cooks and the menus and now it was time to go shopping. Did I mention I was cheap and frugal? Six o'clock in the morning, I was a stalker of Buck who drove the Franz bread truck, Buck. And I stalked Buck Tuesday morning, Sweet Home, Oregon, Safeway store, and when he got out of the truck with his delivery, I jumped out, introduced myself, told him what I was up to, and I said, next three weeks from today, I want to pick up 10 packages of Franz hot dog bugs, buns at your cheapest wholesale price. And he looked at me, and he kind of smiled, and he just shook his head, and he said, whatever. See me in three weeks. He told me how much it was. Three weeks later, I'm stalking Buck. I showed up before he did. I got my 10 packages of hot buns. Did I ever save money or what, baby? I saved money. Expect more. I thank God I wasn't Timothy. The 16-year-old circumcision thing, that just, there's no way I can frame that positively. I'd much rather buy hot dog buns and plan retreats. We expect a lot of students at Evergreen. And we expect a lot because of how much we believe in you. We believe in you. You are not, throw this phrase away, the church of tomorrow. Give me a break. You are the church of today. And so are old guys like me. We are the church. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit in your 20s. You're filled with the Holy Spirit now. There's gifts of God's Spirit in you. Of course you'll perform beyond your experience, your wisdom, knowledge, and your expertise. So do the rest of us. That's the nature of spiritual giftedness. Teen faith. We learn from Timothy. Expect more. Let's go to his third stage of life, the 20s. We're not entirely sure about the chronology here of what's going on in his life, but we have reason to have a hunch that maybe his 20-something faith was at this time, and we learn to grow like crazy in your 20s with Jesus. Notice what Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And now notice the verbs that imply sweat and tears and effort in his 20s. Here it is. Set an example for believers in speech, conduct, faith, love, and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Yeah, 20-something faith. Be a diligent, faithful woman, man of God, and grow with leaps and bounds so that people watching your life exclaim, you are growing like crazy. That's what we do in our 20s. Yeah. When I had my 20th birthday, I realized that I had gotten old. It was a serious identity crisis thing. I am no longer 19, which implies, implied all kinds of things for me. I now was the ripe old age of 20. So I'm going to go into my trick box here. Did you like what I found the first time around? Shall I go in for more? Yeah. It's down here someplace. 
Oh, baby, it must be so buried. Here it is. On the day after my 20th birthday, I started a new journal. I'd been reading through the Bible on an annual basis since I was age, uh, in the eighth grade. I don't remember when I started journaling, but at some point I did. And I decided the day after my 20th birthday, it was a good time to start my new journal. And this is what I wrote in the fly. Jesus, I now invite you to take all of the knowledge and truth which will be accumulated in this notebook and by the Holy Spirit, build it into my life so that my life will become a fuller expression of yours. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for transforming me and restoring me to the image of Jesus. Lord, live your life in me until all that's left to see is your love, your glory alone. I love you, Jared. I think I was writing Anne love notes, and so I had the same kind of a format thing for dear Anne and I love you, Jared, at the end. Yeah. 20-something faith. I had the good sense to know this. This wasn't a decade to mess around in. So we're 23. Anne and I are engaged. We're going to get married, and my friends decided to throw me a bachelor party. My best man was Steve Overman. Some of you know him. He is and has been for years the senior pastor at Eugene Faith Center. Threw a bachelor party for me. There, was no, there were no limos. There were no, no strippers. There was no booze. I tell my friends in their 20s, pick your friends well. Be friendly to all kinds of people and pick your friends well. I fortunately had. To give it the misimage of a fancy place, I hesitate to say that we were in a banquet room, but my bachelor party was in a crummy little dive cafe we're all, you know, broke. With a little room off the side that they called a banquet room, and my buddies and I were in the banquet room, and Steve brought over a box, and he presented it to me, and for my bachelor party from the guys, I got a Bible. You see, they were embarrassed about the one I had. It was really a hippie, funky thing. It was a big old messed up. It was falling apart, and a friend had kind of done this, like, needle stitch thing. It was like a wussy kind of a hippie Bible cover thing. They were all embarrassed, and they said, hey, it's time to grow up. You know, you're going to get married. You guys are going to plant a church in six months, and, you, you know, if God blesses you, you're going to have some kids. It's time to grow up, Jared, and they, they gave me a grown-up Bible, and this is what they inscribed in the front right out of Proverbs. Jared, quote, a faithful man will abound in blessings. And Steve looked at me and he said, Jared, be a faithful husband. Be a faithful leader. Be a faithful dad. Be a faithful friend. Be, be a faithful man. And you'll abound in blessings. Wow. Grow like crazy. I continued reading God's word and continued journaling and I discovered what God had said and I discovered what God was saying. And 23, Anne and I planted a church and I was working full time and said to the council, I know that the church could pay me, but I love what it means for me to be able to work and for us to give generously, and, <clears throat> but I'm not very smart. And as far as I know, I'm going to do this thing for a long time. And if I'm here for a long time, you don't want a dumb pastor for a long time. <clears throat> so I asked them if they'd set aside 20 or $200 a month to, to help me buy a library. And they did that for two years. That's $5,000 over two years. Back in the day, this is a long time ago, young people, a long time ago. Back in the day, five grand was a lot of money. I bought and built a beautiful library. My commitment to the council was I'll read every book I buy. 
And I stupidly bought a Bible encyclopedia. The first book is 1,050 pages, and there's five books. I read the entire Erdman's Bible encyclopedia. I read every book that went on the shelf. I am going to invest my 20s. I am going to grow like crazy. I am going to be a faithful man. I'm going to know what God said. I'm going to know what God is saying, and I'm going to, the best of my ability, do what he's telling me to do. That's what we learned from Timothy about 20-something faith. Grow like crazy. Which leads us to his fourth stage of life. And I call it the 30s and the 40s. And for Timothy now, he's out from Paul. He's doing things that he's been appointed to do. We discover about him in this 30s and 40s faith to keep faith red hot. As we read now from 2 Timothy 1.6, it's the second time Timothy's told to keep it hot. Notice what Paul says. For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Fan it into flame. Why would I need to fan it into flame? Timothy's a leader in the church. He's one of the most mature people. He accepted Christ when he was a kid. He grew up and traveled in his teams. He grew like crazy in his 20s. Why would he need to fan it into flame because faith is fragile, folks. It's not something that's developed over time that becomes a reservoir that we draw off of. It is in the moment of relationship with Jesus Christ. Fan it into flame, Paul says to Timothy. And of course, here in the text, he's speaking specifically about a spiritual gift that Timothy had received. But we generalize that to spiritual life and vitality. Fan it into flame. You've all been at the beach. You've started a bonfire. You're up in the mountains and you're sitting around. And you've noticed that there's two ways to put fires out, haven't you? One is called the five-gallon bucket of water technique. And you can just dump it on the fire and it hisses and it steams and it smokes and it sputters, but it goes out pretty quick, doesn't it? But that's not how faith is extinguished. It is never extinguished in a moment. No, the flame goes out over time from inattention. That's the other way the fire goes out. You just sit and you watch it until the flame begins to flicker and now it's coals. And unless it's stocked, stoked with new material... It just slowly dies out. 30 and 40-something faith. Hmm. When Ann and I were in our 30s or 40s, we experienced what many of you did or are doing right now. And it's this. It's so tricky. This is the slickest time of your life. If you're in this age category, I'm the old guy coming back with some good advice for you. Your life is crazy busy right now. There are kids. They're growing up. There are houses. There are mortgages. There's planning you're supposed to do for the future. There's promotions. There's different jobs. There's firings. There's new discoveries. There's moving. There's opportunities. Maybe your parents have second homes that are available. Maybe you now have disposable income. Maybe you travel in your work. I get the story. That's our life. When I was 33, uh, I received a regional job in Foursquare and was 
the administrator over eight states in the Northwest, which included North Dakota, Alaska, and Hawaii. So we got to do some pretty fun traveling. Anne was fully engaged as well. Later then, uh, in our early 40s, we were uh, promoted, transferred to Los Angeles. Both Anne and I had national responsibilities and international influence and opportunity. We're a three-generation family. Our kids are in middle school and in high school. We're moving from one state to another state, a different job to a different job. We now have money. We now have opportunity, more opportunity by far than we possibly have capacity for. Your details are different, but your life story is the same. That if you don't attend to the important things, the fire will go out. Only you can stoke the fire. And I learned something that I had to keep every day knowing what God had said. I had every day to journal and to record and remind myself of what God was saying. And I also discovered that I had a new best friend. You can't wait to see what it is, can you? My calendar. I actually went back to the archives. <laughs> Dusty, if you have allergies today, you're just going to be a mess before I'm done here. Those tears out there won't because the message was so moving for you. It's the dust that's in here. There we go. This is a calendar of my 35th year. It's the daytimer thing. I don't have the holder for it anymore, and I threw out the daily pages, but I would keep the annual calendar, and I would keep the monthly sections of it, and this is the calendar that I made for my 35th year. Daytimer didn't even produce it. I had to make my own. This calendar was pretty much filled in before any day started. That's how you live in your 30s and 40s if you're going to live successfully with the fame burning. You're going to go into your calendar and you're going to do what God's told you to do. You're going to know what he said, you're going to know what he's saying, and you're going to do it. And I've discovered in the press and the busyness and the craziness of life and with the options and the alternatives that want to come and lure me away in someone else's spur of the moment, if I don't have a rock into the future that tells me what I'm going to be doing, it ain't going to happen. Their thing for me is going to happen. And I had the good sense in my 35th year, at least, this is when I found this, to put the big rocks in first, to put the big stuff in first. So that when we had an opportunity to go to Brazil and speak to 10,000 people, all I had to do was to look at my calendar and to see that Hillary's birthday was over that time. Of course I'm not going to accept that international trip with the company because I have a daughter that's going to have only one 13th birthday. Of course that's how I would live my life. Paul writes to Timothy, 20s and 30-something, this man who knew it all, knew the Bible up one side and down the other, planted churches, overseeing churches, one of the most spiritual, mature Christians on the planet, and he says to him, you can't fool around with the flame, Timothy. You gotta stoke the fire, baby. Fan into flame that fire that is within you. We learned this about 30 and 40-somethings faith. Keep it red hot. And now we get to his fifth stage of life. I'm smiling. This is where I am, the empty nester and the retiree. And some of you find yourselves here, and some of you can't believe that somebody that old is actually talking to you and you're listening. But here it is, here it is. Here we go. We don't know exactly how things turned out for Timothy because the Bible doesn't tell us, but extra-biblical tradition tells us that Paul appointed Timothy as the bishop of the church at Ephesus 
where Paul served for 15 years until he was age 80. And at age 80, he was still vibrant and strong. There was a pagan parade through Ephesus. And Paul stood out in this, excuse me, Timothy stood out in the street and he began to speak against that parade and the philosophy behind it. And the angry crowd took him physically, drug him through the streets and stoned him to death. Here's Paul's story. He went out at 80 and he went out strong. This guy who may have been sickly for life, who grew up in a mixed race and mixed religious family, this guy who apparently was timid because Paul was always having to pump him up and encourage him, lived through his life faithfully and ended his life strong. And one of the reasons he ended well is because these were some of Paul's final words to him. We learn this. From 2 Timothy 2, 2, about empty nester faith. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. A hardworking farmer should be the first to share and receive a share in the crops. How did Timothy finish? He finished well. I used to completely misinterpret this passage. <laughs> I imagine that Timothy was 20-something. Imagine a 25-year-old. Some of you are there. That's who I imagine Paul was writing to until I began to really take a look at it. These are some of the last words Paul wrote to Timothy. If Paul actually appointed Timothy to become the bishop at Ephesus when Timothy was 65, Paul is one old dude here while he's writing these back words, last words. Paul has a premonition that he's probably not going to get out of prison, that he's probably going to die. History tells us that that's happened. Shortly after writing this, Paul was beheaded for his faith. Timothy very likely was in his 60s. Let's be conservative. Let's say he's 58, my age. Paul is writing to an old guy. And he says to an old guy, Timothy, you're on the verge of thinking that you can start cruising. No. You're on the verge of thinking that you are a reservoir that is filled up over life with wisdom and Bible logic, Bible knowledge and experience, and now you can cruise the rest of your life and you can just give out of the reservoir. Timothy, I want you to know that's not how spiritual vitality happens. I want you to think, old man, like you are still a soldier saluting and pleasing the commander, that you are an athlete and that you train with discipline according to those rules where they focused life. I want you to get up every morning, farmer, old man, and I want you to keep planting and I want you to keep harvesting. Those are not images for a 20-something. They're images for a 60-something who had already well lived beyond life expectancy for a male in the Roman first century culture of 34 years of age. Old guy, you're still a soldier, an athlete, a farmer. Come on, get with it. And what's the getting with it? Pass it on. Pass it on to the next generations. 
He starts in verse 2 where we just read, and he says, I'm, I'm Paul. Let me unpack it. I'm Paul. You're Timothy, generation 1, generation 2. I pass things on to you, Timothy. Now I want you to find reliable people. I want you to pass it on to them and people who have the capacity to teach the next generation as well. It's four generations. Timothy, I want you to live out your life, passing it on to the next generations. And that's how I want to live my life. Now, here's the problem for me, Brad. I've outlived most of my role models. I really have. (laughs) Some of them have died, right? So I don't have access to them. And some of them have just decided to live life differently than me. So they don't think the way I think about life. Let me tell you how I think. I am in boomer denial. That is true. I just, I'll acknowledge that up front. But I do know my age But I'm not expecting to act any younger than Timothy was called to act when he was my age. I expect to think about life as though I were a 20-something. That's how I think about life. I'm not, but it's how I'm going to think about life. And it's the energy that I'm going to bring to what I do. And it's the faithfulness and the conviction with which I want to serve. That's how I want to finish. But I've outlived my role models. They're either dead or they're not doing anymore life the way I do it. Where am I going to go? Now, it dawned on me a while back that I probably have some blind spots. Be kind, but have any of you, just a gentle raise of the hand, have any of you noticed that I might have some blind spots? Yeah. Oh, you're way too kind. Yeah. And I thought to myself, if I've spent 58 years carefully protecting myself from that information, what's the likelihood in the next 10 that I'm going to discover it? Is that a reasonable question? Yeah. I'm not going to get much smarter about myself in 10 years by looking at myself. Who am I going to go to for help? I'll tell you what I'm doing in my empty nest years. Right now, I'm going to a professional counselor. Here's his brochure. I know it's a shameless plug. He's thanking me for it, Dr. Richard Shaw. By the way, not only is this brochure, but other brochures for other professional Christian counselors are available. In fact, if you're interested, down the hall in the office, you just help yourself by going in the first door. There's a little alcove there, room, and inside there's a bunch of brochures. Arms and other ministries are there, including some counselors, Dr. Shaw included. It dawned on me a few years ago that I took better care of my car than I did taking care of my body. It was ridiculous. My car faithfully went in every 5,000 miles or less for an oil change while I was abusing my body. I thought, that doesn't make sense, and I decided to be a better steward of my body. At least treat my body as well as my car. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. It dawned on me more recently that I treat my car and my body better than I treat my soul. Is that odd or what? Part of me that may actually be eternal? Hmm. Where am I going to go for help? So I told a friend, I said, uh, I'm going to professional counseling. Really? He says in a hushed voice, really? We'll keep this secret between us. We don't want your ministry hurt. I'm making this up. We don't want your ministry destroyed. What will people think if you're, no, you're going to professional counseling. We'll keep it between us, friends. What did you do? (laughs) Just between us. Did you cheat on Ann? You addicted to porn? You and the pain meds, hmm? A little too close to relationships? Snorting a little coke, huh? What, what'd you do? Are you burned out? I said, what does that have to do about anything? You're going to counseling every week. 
You write him a check for 125 bucks a week. That's over two bucks an hour. He doesn't even give you 60 minutes. Why do I do what about what? I said, you know, I had my oil changed last week in the car. And somebody said, what'd you do today? And I said, I got my oil changed. And nobody freaked out like you're freaking out. (laughs) Nobody said, you don't have to change the oil in your car. Wait for the stupid thing to blow up along 26. It's cool. Instead of $30 once in a while, you can spend three grand on a new engine. Just wait until it blows up. Then maybe you can even have one of those pastor sabbatical things. Who knows? It might work out well for you. No, no, no. No. I'm going to get the oil changed. Let's stay tuned up. I'm going to spend 500 or or $1,000. Anne's going with me. She's nice. I'm going to talk to somebody that has some expertise in asking questions and using tools to help me make some discoveries of the rough edges of my life that you're all aware of, but I may not be yet. Because I am planning to tend the flame. Yeah. So here's my life in a box. It started with a box and some hamburger buns and a Bible and a journal and a calendar and a counselor. And so far, it's working out pretty well for me. Now, you guys are smart, so you've already figured out that this wasn't just Timothy's story, and it wasn't just Jared's story, but you found your story in our story, and you've also figured out that this is the Evergreen story. Yeah. 83 years old, and we're acting like Timothy. Four generations, four-generation church. We believe around here... We believe around here that kids come to Jesus early and vibrantly and genuinely. And kids and students around here, we say it boldly, we say it proudly, get disproportionate attention and resources around here. We do. We are going to honor those generations that are the most vulnerable because kids around here deserve the best place in this community to grow up in a vibrant face in Jesus Christ. Students here at Evergreen, We expect more of you. We do. We believe in you, and that's why we expect more of you. Come on. You are the church. Link up with us. Let's go. We need you. 20-something at Evergreen, this is not a place just to find the hot chick or the handsome guy. This is a place that you're going to grow like crazy in Jesus. We need for you to model a life of growing in Jesus. And 30s and 40-somethings are all over this congregation. You are at the most vulnerable place of your faith right now. The flame can go out so easily. And I want to tell you, we need and your kids need for you to do the important stuff and for you to get it in your calendar and for you to do it every week and for you to do it every day or your life will slip away. We need you 20s and 30-somethings, 40s. And those of you empty nesters, or retirees, you find yourself in my place of life. You thought you were a reservoir. You thought you'd filled it up. You thought you were on your way or at coasting. No way, not at Evergreen, you're not. We need your encouragement. We need your wisdom. We need your vibrancy. We need your money. We need your help. We need your modeling. 30s and 40s, we need your contributions and we need for you to model for your kids what a faithful relationship with Jesus Christ looks like. 
20-somethings, we need you. And if you're at Evergreen, you're going to find your place serving like crazy with accountability on the platform, in a classroom, out there, in the community, on Tuesday nights with Brad. We need you. You're the church of today. Joining those of you that are students, students at Evergreen, are the church of today. And we expect a lot from you because we believe in you. And kids at Evergreen, they're not in the service, they're down the hall. Kim, two, three hundred this weekend will always be a place that's great for kids. If you want something else, old timers like me, you're not gonna like this place. You're not. We're gonna be Paul and Timothy. We're gonna do it from start to finish. We're gonna be all about it. We're gonna be all about Paul saying, I've passed on to you and you pass on to others that can pass it on to others because that's what finishing well looks like. And I'm planning to finish well. Will you join me in that venture? Let's pray together.